2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> I was thinking about those, uh, the choir back there as they were singing, and a number of years ago I um, was in a choir at a church, and uh, I still remember the men that I stood around. I was just 14 years old at the time. I think that's been at least 25 years ago. And uh, I still remember it. And it was like it was yesterday. I, can, I still remember how the camaraderie that we had. And the, uh, it was just kind of neat, you know, uh, being one of the men there. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I really can't say that I know exactly where all those men are uh, today. But I do remember those days. And those were good days. And um, I just thought about how... I don't know that we'll ever realize how influential those things are on our young people. Uh, you men that stand up in the, in those, uh, in the choir loft or uh, you're involved in a ministry where you have young people with you, you you'll, for years you'll be remembered. I mean, for a lifetime you'll be remembered and your influence and your input will make a difference. And I think it's important that we take the time to encourage and to share good things with people along the way. And so uh, I just remember that, and I'm thankful for that. And it kind of goes along with our message tonight. We're going to talk about thankfulness as we go into the uh, Thanksgiving season here as we look forward to Thursday, and uh, it won't be long now. We'll be eating turkey and uh, trying to fit back in our clothes and <clears throat> all of those good things. And um, so let's start with Second Timothy chapter 3 today. We're going to begin in verse 1. And we're going to read some verses, and we're just going to run through some things tonight, and I hope it will be a help to you. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, <clears throat> having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Notice once again, over there in verse 2, the Bible says, They'll be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unthankful. More than 19 centuries ago, God inspired the Apostle Paul to predict today's global attitudes. And then he had him write them down so that he could warn us of what lay ahead. Again, one of the great concerns for our generation is unthankfulness, ingratitude. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, he says. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And ultimately goes on to say they will be unthankful. Unthankful. Now it's interesting to note that he says men. And just say teenagers or children. Men shall be unthankful. Therefore, he's saying across the board, people in general will be unthankful. Today, if we'd be honest, we'd have to admit that it seems that a majority or at least a number of people are rather self-centered. 
They're discontent. They're ungrateful. At best, many think about giving thanks only once a year, maybe during Thanksgiving time or possibly Christmas or some special event or situation. And although we may be the children of the king, and we have every reason in the world, mind you, to be grateful, to be thankful, we too can get caught up in this prevailing attitude of ingratitude. I'll tell you, this attitude can permeate our minds. It can truly just consume us. And without realizing it or recognizing it, we can find ourselves equally ungrateful. Even though we ought to be and consider ourselves the most blessed of all. Many years ago, as the story is told at least, a devout king was disturbed by the ingratitude of his royal court. So he prepared a very large banquet for all of them, and he invited them to come. And when the king and his royal guests were seated, of course it was prearranged, of course, they had specific seating, and they found themselves in the exact spot they were supposed to be. But, of course, like always, there were a few that did not make it that day, and a beggar slipped in unawares. Now, I don't know how in the world that happened, but remember, this is a story. He shuffled into the hall, he sat down at the king's table, and he gorged himself with food. And without saying one word, he stood up and he left the room. Man, the guests were furious. They were so upset. They couldn't believe that this man, I mean, he never even asked permission to to eat. He, He just took it upon himself to sit down, to consume all that food, to gorge himself. And then he just got up and he left. Boy, I mean to tell you, they asked permission. They said, King, give us the word. Just let us seize that tramp. We'll tear him from limb to limb for his ingratitude. The king said, well, that beggar's done only once to an unearthly king. Excuse me, that beggar's done only once to an earthly king what each of you does three times each day to God. You sit there at a table and you eat until you are satisfied. Then you walk away without recognizing God or expressing one word of thanks to him. You know, when it's all said and done, ingratitude... denotes spiritual immaturity. When a person is, in, is ungrateful, they're only demonstrating their immaturity. Infants don't always appreciate what their parents do for them. I mean, what, what infant does. I mean, they, they have short memories, don't they? I mean, their concern is not about what you did for me yesterday... But what are you doing for me right now, today? I mean, think about it. You feed an infant in the morning, he cries if he doesn't get fed in the afternoon. So so much ingratitude. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. We don't remember. They do not think. They don't have a memory. And basically, the past means nothing to them. Nor does the future. Only the very present. You know, that's exactly... How the immature believer is. Nothing matters but the present. Not the past, not the future, only the here and the now. Maybe we're not as spiritually mature as we'd like to believe ourselves to be at times. Do we really appreciate all that we've been given? Are we sincerely thankful to our Heavenly Father 
for the many blessings that he so liberally bestows upon us. Andrew Carnegie, the multi-millionaire, he left a million dollars for one of his relatives who returned, now get this, who returned, who in return cursed him. He cursed him thoroughly because he had left $365 million to public charities and only cut, and basically cut him off with only a million. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> you only gave me a million and you gave $365 million to charity. Boy, he was so upset with Andrew Carnegie. Samuel Leibowitz, criminal lawyer and judge, saved 78 men from the electric chair. Not one ever bothered to thank him. Not one. People by nature, you and I included, are ungrateful. You know, people say, well, I just have this natural ability. I'm just grateful for everything. No, that's something that you've either learned or you've chosen to be. That is not by nature what mankind is. Mankind is nothing less than total selfishness. It's always about now. It has nothing to do with the past. It has nothing to do with the future. It has everything to do with me right now. That's mankind. That's the flesh. That's our human nature. Most of the time, it seems that we're only thankful when we receive what we believe ourselves worthy of. If I believe myself worthy of something, then I'm grateful if I receive it. If I don't get what I think I'm worthy of, then all of a sudden, I'm pretty upset. You know what I mean? It's like the job that I have that that I'm not grateful for because I'm really not getting what I think I deserve. It's not that I have a job that I'm thankful. No, it's for what I don't have that I'm unthankful for. But see, being thankful is not an option for believers. That's not even an option. You and I don't have the luxury of deciding whether or not we want to be grateful or not. You know, the world, they do. They have that option. Their father's not God. Their father's Satan. They can choose to be grateful or or ingrateful. But not us. You do not have a choice whether or not you're going to be grateful. That is a command of God. Now again, you can say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it anyway. Well, that's true, but it's going to be marked up as rebellion and disobedience. In reality, you and I are not given opportunities to choose those things. We are to be obedient to our Heavenly Father who tells us, who orders us, who commands us to be grateful. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is always God's will that we are grateful and that we are thankful for all things. Now again, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to be grateful. That doesn't mean that every circumstance and situation is going to be pleasant. That doesn't mean that we're going to really run out and say, Praise the Lord! This is awesome! What's going on in my life? It may be burdensome and it may be difficult, but let me tell you, we ought to somehow and must somehow find a way to say, I'm thankful. That's a tough one to do, though. But it is indeed commanded of us. Someone says, you don't understand the wife I live with. You don't know the husband I live with. You don't understand the circumstance I'm in. You don't know what my health's like. You haven't had to endure my hardships. I agree. I haven't had to do those things. And I hope I never have to, probably. But let me tell you this. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. All that matters is what God says about it. And He tells us that we have to be grateful. 
And you know what? You're only making yourself more miserable, by the way. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called into one body, and be ye thankful. It is the will of God, again, that we be thankful in every condition, in adversity as well as prosperity. It doesn't matter. We are to be thankful. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. Glory in tribulation also? Wait a second, when they're talking about glorying in tribulation, they're talking about being persecuted. They're talking about facing martyrdom possibly. They're not just talking about some family member that doesn't agree with how they give or where they go or what they do for the cause of Christ. They're not just talking about somebody at a door who gets upset with you and says, I don't understand why you have to push your religion down my throat. We're not talking about that. I'm not talking about a wife who says, I think you ought to stay home more instead of going to church. I'm not talking about children who say, can't we just stay home and watch a ball game instead of having to go to church tonight? We're talking about real persecution here, real tribulation. We're talking about someone banging your door, kicking it down, taking you, seizing you, and running you off into prison, and possibly putting you on a gallows, or lighting a fire underneath your feet and watching you melt in front of your children's faces. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We find that God would have us to be thankful even in the midst of our greatest trials. Because we are to realize that through those struggles and those hardships, not only are we tempered, but we are equipped for this life. Not only that, but we are provided an eternal reward one day even. There's nothing simple about being grateful all the time. There's nothing, nothing easy about being thankful to God in everything. You can get some horrible news in life. It's hard to be thankful. You can experience tremendous tragedy. It's hard to be thankful. You can find yourself in horrible health. It's hard to be thankful. You can find your family suffering like you never dreamed possible, and it's hard to be thankful. Your car won't start in the morning. It's hard to be thankful. There's too much traffic. It's hard to be thankful. You've got to work overtime. It's hard to be thankful. The holidays are here. It's hard to be thankful. Did I say that? I enjoy the holidays. <clears throat> Mr. Jurgen and I was talking about the holidays. and The only thing we regret is that there's not enough time to do the work that needs to be done. I like the holidays. I try to take a little time off, but... It puts me under the gun, so instead I just get so stressed out that by the time I get the time off, I'm a basket case. <laughs> right, Mr. Jurgen? <laughs> and while you're eating that turkey or while you're eating, eating 
Christmas dinner, all you can think about is what you need to get done. <clears throat> we try not to do that. We need to be thankful anyway, brother. Be thankful. Be thankful. When a person focuses their life or their eyes on temporal things, they're sure to become bitter and even angry at God before long. I mean, if all we see is what's around us, if all I can grasp or embrace is that which I can hold, sooner or later I won't hold what I feel I deserve and I'll become bitter at God for not giving me what I think I, ha- I should have. <clears throat> isn't it amazing how, you know, the Bible talks about envy, but isn't it amazing how many people truly envy others? I mean, really. Let's be honest. I know how many of you men envy me. It's pretty pitiful, really. <laughs> but really, we do. We envy people. We envy those things that they possess. You know, it's amazing. You know, instead of a man saying, I'm just grateful that God gave me a wife, he looks at someone else's and says, I wish my wife looked like that. Oh, did I say something wrong? Oh, you mean no man's ever thought that? And, and the wife, instead of saying, I'm grateful for the husband you gave me, you say, boy, I wish my wife was considerate like that man's, that lady's wife, husband is. Look how he treats her. Well, I hope that he treats her like that all the time, but then again, you don't know that for sure anyway. But the fact is, is that often we find ourselves envying others. Boy, I sure wish I'd have had the opportunity to, to, to teach uh, that class or to speak at that function or to uh, head up that area of service. I, I wish I could have sang that solo or envy. And you know, you know what that really, the real root cause of all that is ingratitude. We're not grateful for what we do have. All we can see is what we don't have because all we're doing is looking at the temporal. The immediate. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we spend a lot of time looking at ourselves. That, that, that I guarantee you, is a, a dead end when it comes to gratitude. As long as we focus on ourselves, we're going to have very little to be thankful for in most cases. No, I know you may think to yourself, you think, oh, I know some people that think they are all that. Every time they look, they look at themselves in the mirror, they think they're God's blessing to women and, uh, you know, God's gift to women. And, and she thinks she's God's gift to men and all that stuff. I understand that. But hold on. You don't know people in their heart then. Usually some of those people that you think have it all together are more tormented than you would ever imagine. <clears throat> We look in a mirror and we say things like, you know, I'm not tall as I'd like to be. I'm not as good looking as I'd like to be. I, I have a feature that causes me to be self-conscious or possibly even embarrassed in the presence of others. I, I don't like this. Uh, the, I, don't, I lack the clothes that I'd like to have. I mean, mine aren't as nice as some people's. And, 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 and I, I have this cast on my arm and it bothers me and I, I feel so awkward. And my hearing aids, you know, I hate those things. And, and the glasses on my face just don't fit right anymore. And I'm losing all my hair and it's turning gray and... Well, we get, we get miserable. So we stop looking in the mirror. <laughs> just stop. Who cares what I look like? I just can't look at myself. I get discouraged. 
was it over at the men's conference, the guys were talking, I think they were saying, guys just look in the mirror and they go, hmm, looks pretty good. And to some degree, that's about how it is. We convince ourselves we're still the man we used to be. But if we're really honest at times, we know that's not the case. Let's face it, if we spend all of our time looking at ourselves, we can always find something that we want to change about ourselves. And we'll have plenty of reasons to be discouraged and even ungrateful. But we've got to be careful we don't look at ourselves. You know, we live in a generation that's very felt need oriented. Where, you know, oh, share your needs with me, share your hurts with me, share your... It's always about people, you know, we, we cater to our teens too often, I think. I think we play up to them all the time. Who cares? Go out there, get hurt a little bit. It's good for them. Quit complaining. Knock it off. Little kid falls, skins his knee, starts crying. Everybody, ah! No, let it, that's okay. They'll be fine. Get up. You're fine. Get up. You, you know what we've done? What we've, we've essentially done... Because we pay so much attention to everybody and their little hurts, their, their little nuances, their little deals all the time. We've made them believe somehow that the world revolves around them. Amen. You know, the little kid gets hurt on the football field and about four mothers run out. <laughs> let the little kid lay there. And matter of fact, don't even let them lay there. Kick them until they get up. Get off the ground. Your leg broke? No. Get up. Get up. <clears throat> world don't revolve around that little kid. But that's how we treat the world today. That's how we treat people. We're so afraid of hurting their psyche, damaging their self-esteem. And instead, all we've done is fed it. Now, I'm not saying be mean to people, but I'm telling you this. Uh, sometimes we just need to let, just, okay, whatever. We all got problems. Quit bellyaching, doesn't do no good. Some of you wives, all you want to do is complain about your husband's. You don't want to do nothing to fix it. You just want to complain. Some of you men, same thing. What good's it do? You think anybody really cares? Unless you're ready to do something about your problem, don't even look for any help. Eventually, you're going to wear people out listening to you talk about it. It's, it's so important that we understand that when we start looking at ourselves and when we, our feelings are so important that they trump everybody else's needs in the world, <clears throat> that's called selfishness. That actually is a root of being ungrateful. Because we can't see past ourselves. <clears throat> Nothing good going on in life. Everything's a mess. <clears throat> oh, really? You're here tonight. That's more than some. I'm just telling you, sometimes we do not get, we, we don't allow ourselves to have this biblical spirit and this biblical attitude. We must choose. And I know we really don't have a choice. We talked about that, but the reality is, I guess we do really, because God's not going to make you obey Him. So in that sense, you do have a choice. <clears throat> Great gratitude. So important. In the book of 2 Samuel, we're introduced to one of David's sons. His name is Amnon. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we read about him, and it says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister. That means she was really good looking. Didn't mean she was just fair, like when they played board games. 
<clears throat> and it came to pass, there's not, a, there's not a sister in the room that's fair when it comes to board games, right? Sisters. Sisters. What are you going to do with them, fellas? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you sisters think about your brothers? Don't, don't say it out loud. You're not allowed to cuss in church. <clears throat> and it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So it's his half-sister. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. I'm glad he thought hard to do anything to her. All of those things that Amnon could have had in the kingdom. Think about it. He is the king's son. I mean, there's not a... a, Really, there probably wasn't a young lady that if he truly desired to have her as his wife, he couldn't have had her. But no, he wanted Tamar. Amnon was basically a very selfish man. Self-centered. He couldn't be thankful for what he had. All he could think about was what he didn't have. His daddy, again, was king. Could have had anything, but no, not enough. The Bible says, ultimately, an Amnon had a friend. Some friend Jonadab turned out to be. Basically, this so-called friend concocted a scheme that ultimately led to the horrible abuse of Tamar, as well as the ultimate death of Amnon himself. So not only was the sister abused, but Amnon ultimately loses his life two years later. At the hand of his own brother, mind you. Amnon was ungrateful. He's not content with what he had or what was available to him. He was discontented, and ultimately that led to his destruction. Ingratitude is a very serious sin that has unimaginable consequences in our life. And let me tell you something. Probably one of the greatest consequences is that it is passed to the next generation. It doesn't end with you. If you are ungrateful, if you are, uh, if you are filled with ingratitude, let me tell you, you are permeating that and you are passing it down to the next generation. The Word of God, again, teaches us, or teaches believers, to be thankful in all things at all times. In 1 Thessalonians, the Bible tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, the Apostle says. What are you thanking Him for? Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is the, in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You received our message. You allowed it to cha- transform your life. We are eternally grateful, and we are always thanking God without ceasing for that. Psalm 119, verse 62 The psalmist David says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Thy righteous judgments? Wait a second, isn't the psalmist David the the king of Israel? Isn't he that young man, that shepherd boy who went from watching sheep to ruling a nation? Isn't he the one who ultimately uh, found that trials and tribulation were literally his best friend for a number of years as he fled from Saul, uh, Saul the king? 
as the one that he, he was so loyal to would not receive and accept his loyalty in return? I mean, is that amazing? I mean, to think that this young man would say to himself, At midnight I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. You were right on target, God. You gave me exactly what I needed. Really? I mean, if I was David, I'd have preferred that Saul would have elevated me. I'd have preferred that he, he lavished me in luxury. I'd have rather that he had had me sit at his table without fear of having a javelin thrust through my chest. But David said, no, that's all right. It's all right. My God's a righteous judge. And I'm grateful. I wake up every night at midnight and I thank him. Wow. See, the secret to gratitude is perspective and focus. David looked past Saul. He looked past his enemies. He looked past his present distress, and all he could see was how good his God was to him. That's all he could see. So how do you do that? You've got to stop looking at everything else and just look to him. I mean, I don't know. You say, well, come on, be practical. Okay, well, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking Unto Jesus. Let me tell you. You know how you stop being an ingrate? You know how you stop being filled with ingratitude? You get in the word of God and recognize what God is doing every day in your life. And what he's done for you in the past. What he plans to do in the future. Let me tell you something. You get those three things down. Pretty soon you'll start saying thank you Lord. Now listen, I'm not saying you won't have times of difficulty. I'm not telling you that you may not get discouraged from time to time. There may be times you may look in God's face and say, God, what in the world are you doing? Just keep, keep sticking your nose in that book. Keep searching him out. So you say, looking unto, looking unto him, looking unto Jesus, how do I look to Jesus? Well, let's see, the only revelation I know that expresses who he is, he says uh, over in the book of John, chapter 5, verse 39. I'm going to look at it and read it because right off the top of my head, I just lost that verse. But it just says this. Chapter 5, verse 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. They testify of me. What is he saying? You want to see me revealed in your eyes? You want to see me elevated in your mind? You want, to, you want to really get to know me? Get in the Word, because this is who I am and what I am. It is me. You say, I want to know Jesus. How much of the book you know? I want to get to know Him better. How much more time you spend with Him? Here he is. There's no secret to being grateful. The secret to gratitude is simple. Jesus. you got to get your eyes on him. Do you know that the solution to every problem in life is the same? It's so simple that everybody thinks you're being impractical. They really do. There's not one marital problem that isn't solved if we would get in the Bible and really get close to Jesus Christ. He'd begin to change our heart toward our spouse, and he'd also begin to reveal to us what we need to do to help them change. But we don't want to go that route. That's a little bit too personal. We'd rather them change than we. But see, that, that's the problem. See, the Christian life is not about the other guy. It's always about me. And yet it's not about me looking at me, it's about me looking to him, because that's what I need. Oh, it's, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
It's always about me needing something. Not about me being sufficient, but me needing something. So I always go to God. God, I'm having a problem in my finances. What's the solution? Well, let's see. What's the solution? Well, let me get a hold of, uh, let me look at this infomercial, and let me check out this, and let me check out that. Oh, yeah, do some research. I'm okay with that. But let me ask you something. How much of your time have you spent in God's Word asking God for some leadership and insight? How often have you, how much time have you spent with your Sunday school teacher saying, hey, what's going on with the finances here? I need a little bit of help. Hey, pastor, how can, how can I maybe, what do I need to do first in order to get this thing in order? I mean, there's safety in a multitude of what? Counselors, that's what the Bible... You'd know that if you're in the Word of God. And now when you have a problem, you might go to the wise counselors, not just the worldly counselors, not just to somebody that's got debt up to their neck, but to somebody who's doing it God's way and seeing prosperity in their life. Somebody that's giving according to the Scriptures. Somebody that's sacrificially serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody that can honestly point you in the right direction and put you on topside. We're not very grateful, I don't think, sometimes. We're not focusing on the right things. You know, I love milk. When I was young, especially, I drank milk. I, I've always loved milk. I remember my mom buying milk and saying that she, she kept the cow farms in business. <laughs> I don't know what a cow farm is, but anyway, that's what we kept them in business. Do you know, in, in our house, this is no lie, we went through a gallon of milk every day. We do a gallon of milk every day in our house. You say, oh, we go through so much milk in our house. Probably not a gallon a day. And if you have, if you do, it's probably because you got more kids than we have. But I mean, a gallon of milk a day. That's a lot of milk. I really love milk. Cold milk now. I don't even like that milk that's in the refrigerator if it's not real cold. You ever drink a glass of milk and it's not real cold? It's like... Luke warm or Luke cold? I don't know, but it's not cold, cold. I like cold milk. I want it cold. My wife will set milk out on the table, and, and she just took it out. I'll walk in there, and it'd be time for supper, and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to get me some milk. And I look at it, and I go, I'll get the milk in here. She's like, I just put it out. And I'm like, you sure? It's got to be cold. And if I get I shake it up just in case it, around the edge or the top it's gotten a little warm. Shake it up so it's cold all the way through. I like my milk cold. I, I like it like that. I enjoy milk. I like it cold. I like it with cookies. I like it with cake. I like it with brownies. I like the chewy brownies. I'm not a real bread brownie guy. I like chewy brownies. I really like those brownies when they've got that chocolate icing on top. A thick layer of it, too. Not that real thin stuff. I'm talking about thick. Yeah, it's good. I like it, too. I like it with dinner. I had it with dinner today. I had it with dinner today. It was delicious. I like it. I love milk. As much as I love milk, though, I cannot stand drinking milk out of a plastic cup. No. It's got to be glass. It's got to be glass. No styrofoam. Glass. Plastic? No way. Glass is the only way to drink milk. Any other way is simply un-American. Now here's my point. Ladies, glass. Remember that. 
Your man deserves glass. Not shards of it stuck in his feet. <laughs> but to put milk in to drink. Now, here, here's my point, though. I'm always thankful for a cold glass of milk. But if it is served to me in a plastic cup, I can't get past the cup. I can't. I, oh, my. What, what is that about? That's got to, I'm, I know I, I, I'm not even going to say what I'm thinking. I can't get past the cup. I can't do it. See, I fail to see the milk, and instead, I only see the plastic. That plastic keeps me from being grateful for the milk. I go up, I say, oh, milk, good. Oh, plastic cup, forget that. I stop being grateful for the milk because of the plastic cup. You get what I'm saying now? Do you think about that for a minute? That, that's exactly how it is with life, and that's how it is in our own world. I mean, uh, we, we have to be careful that we don't allow our focus to be misguided because what happens is things that really are a blessing and things that really we ought to be grateful for, just because they're packaged a certain way or because they come to us in a certain manner, we may say, I don't, I'm not grateful for that. We've got to be careful how we see things. I, I read something the other day. I'm going to read it real quick. It says... I'm thankful. Thankful for the taxes that I pay because it means that I am employed. Boy, I'll tell you what, those taxes can make you pretty ungrateful. But wait a second. The only reason you're paying them is because you have a job. Glad I got a job. Perspective. You see that? We love the milk. The plastic's killing us. Be careful, those taxes are like plastic, but don't let that keep you from appreciating the job you have. For the, I, I'm thankful for the mess to clean, after my, uh, clean up after a party, because it means that I've been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug, because it means I have enough to eat. Too much. I'm thankful for the lawn that needs mowing. Windows that need cleaning and gutters that need fixing. Because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about the government. Because it means that we have freedom of speech. I'm thankful for the parking spot I find at the far end of the parking lot. Because it means I'm capable of walking and that I have been blessed with transportation. I'm thankful for my huge heating bill. That one's a tough one. Because it means I'm warm. How many of you are cold in your homes because you're trying to save money for heat? Preach it. You know, really, you know what I found out? For years we used to keep our, our thermostat set on 66 or 67. And... Uh, what we found was, is that when we raised it to 68 or 69, it didn't change our bill hardly at all. At least that's what we found. Now, some of you like it at like 82. Some of you, I know you like it at 82 because you complain. And you, you wear sweaters in summer. So I know you like it at 82 in your houses. Maybe 92. There's no hope for you. 
You're going to have a big bill either way. <laughs> That's just life, okay? But be grateful because at least you're warm. I am thankful for the lady behind me in church that sings off key. Because it means that I can hear. I didn't write that. I am thankful for the pile of laundry and the ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. I am thankful for weariness and aching muscles at the end of the day because it means I have been capable of working hard. I am thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours because it means that I'm still alive. I read this, it says, don't complain about what this world is coming to, but proclaim the one that is coming to this world. Isn't that good? I like that. There's a story told of Abraham Lincoln. One day the president summoned to the White House a surgeon in the Army of the Cumberland from the state of Ohio. The major assumed that he was to be commended for some exceptional work that he had performed on the battlefield. During the conversation, Mr. Lincoln asked the major about his widowed mother. She's doing fine, he responded. The president said, how do you know? You haven't written her, but she's written me. She thinks that you're dead, and she's asking that a special effort be made to return your body. At that, the commander-in-chief placed a pen in the young doctor's hand, and he ordered him to write a letter letting his mother know that he was still alive and well. You know, you and I are sons and daughters to the Heavenly Father. We can get so busy with our lives, we can get so overwhelmed with our circumstances, our situations. We can be so taken with this world and its glitter and its glamour. We can find ourselves consumed with trying to amass material goods or gain and prosperity and position and prestige that we forget to communicate with our Heavenly Father. If we were to be nailed down, if someone would say, are you grateful to God for what He's done for you? We'd say, oh, absolutely, I'm very grateful. And yet, how sad it is to think that maybe He has to call down to earth to get our attention. Are you still alive down there? I haven't heard from you in a long time. I know you're in a warfare and I know you're in a battle, but I'm fearful that you've lost your life. Are you grateful for what God's done in your life? Do you communicate with Him on a regular, ongoing basis? I suppose probably the greatest evidence of gratitude toward God is simply to spend time with Him. I don't know if there's a parent in the world that wants anything more than a child 
who will spend time with them. But I sent you a big Christmas gift. But I called and wished you happy birthday. But I gave you that letter or that note. All those things are wonderful, but they can never take the place of a visit. Just sitting there, maybe saying nothing, doing nothing, just being in their presence. You know what? There's no way to say thank you to a mom or dad any more than spending time with them. Don't ever forget that, young people or children. When your parents grow older and you don't have time for them because your life is so busy, and I'm saying that facetiously because we get to the place where we think we do not have time for our families. Remember, the only thing your mom, your dad wants is they sit there watching television alone, night in, night out, is to just spend time with you. Even if it's just a half hour or an hour, give them yourself. That is the greatest way to say thank you for all the years and all the sacrifice. I've never forgotten you. And may I say tonight, may we never forget him. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for just the privilege it is to be your children. Help us, Lord, to learn to be grateful, if, to forever strive to be grateful, thankful. I know we're commanded to do it, but God of heaven, help us not to take you for granted, least of all you. Oh, God, we need you. Father, I pray, Lord, for your leadership tonight in the lives of each of us, myself as well as each represented, that you speak to our hearts now and do your work in our lives. May the message truly identify each person right where they need it and draw out that need. And may they willingly address it in their life. Lord, may we decide to be grateful and thankful, to be obedient in this area of gratitude. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.